I remember the first time I came to the Memphis area. I was living in Florida, and Claire and I wanted to come and check out this area. We're looking at seminary and pharmacy school and all of that. And someone in our church knew someone that lived in Memphis, and so I called that gentleman, and he gave me instructions, steps, directions to get from North Florida to Memphis. And I followed his instructions to a T, and I made it to Memphis. I'll never forget it. You go down go down I-10 and you hit 231 and you go through Dothan and Troy and Ozark and then you hit Montgomery and 65 and you get to Birmingham and get 78, come on. And so I remember all those instructions and when we go home, that's the way that we go. When we come back, that's the way that we go. And he gave me a step-by-step picture of how we get from Florida to Memphis. Well, the Bible says that if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior... We will spend eternity in that wonderful place called heaven. Isn't that good news? That's really, really good news. Because one thing I know about this world, this ain't heaven. This ain't heaven. But the question is, how do we get from here to there? What are the steps that we're going to go through to get from here to our eternal dwelling place. Well, the Bible gives us some direction, gives us some insight into those steps. And so I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, as we look at four steps to our eternal home. Four steps to our eternal home. Home. Acts chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 17. Acts chapter 3, verse 17. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts. I want to ask you today if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Truth with no mixture of error. God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Acts chapter 3, verse 17. And by the way, next week we're going to have a special Christmas message. So if you came looking for a Christmas message, that'll be next week, all right? So just FYI, we're going to finish Acts chapter 3 and do some Christmas stuff, and then we'll jump in Acts chapter 4 in January. There in verse 17, the Bible says, And now, brothers, this is Peter preaching, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer... He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we come acknowledging your greatness and your majesty, your grace and your mercy. We acknowledge your presence in this place. Lord, you are here. 
with us. And that is an incredible reality. We acknowledge the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, the only way we can know you in a personal way, the only way we can have this relationship with you, the only way we can experience your presence is through the salvation that comes through Jesus. And we're so grateful that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we are so grateful that Jesus rose from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Jesus Christ has defeated death. Jesus Christ has defeated our sin. Jesus Christ has defeated Satan. And He is our Lord and our Savior. May Jesus be exalted in this place. This time is all about Jesus. And Lord, as we look into Your Word, would You encourage us and inspire us and challenge us, transform us, change us, Lord, we really do want to leave this room different than when we walked in today. And Lord, we'll thank you for that grace. Lord, I ask that you would establish my steps in your word and anoint me by your spirit. And we ask and pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, in Acts chapter 3, shortly after the birth of the, what we call the New Testament church, Peter And John were walking to the temple. They saw a man who was there at the gate called Beautiful, who was lame since his birth. And he was begging for alms. But Peter said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. And this man, who had been lame since birth, got up and walked and began to leap and began to praise God in the temple. As you can imagine, this got some folks' attention. And a crowd... Begin, began to gather. And when this crowd gathered up, Peter thought, well, this would be a great time to preach a sermon. And it's like when I walk in Mi Pueblo and I see all of you there. That'd be a great time to preach a sermon, right? And, and the people were gathered up, and, and, and he began to preach a sermon about Jesus Christ. This miracle got the people's attention. And because he had their attention, he began to point them to Jesus Christ, who had healed this man from his physical uh, disability. And in this sermon, Peter says some very interesting things. And what he does for us is he shares with us four steps to get from here to there. From this old world to our eternal home, that wonderful place called Heaven. So I want to walk you through these four steps that Peter gives us in this sermon that revolves around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. First of all, the first step is repentance. Repentance. At the end of his great sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when he preaches about Jesus Christ, the people are convicted. They say, what should we do? And Peter says, you need to repent. And here in this sermon, same theme, same truth, you need to repent. Look what it says there in verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He's speaking here of their their corporate desire to crucify the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, Peter's saying, God said that his Messiah, his Christ, that he was going to send as a Redeemer, would suffer. 
his suffering would be necessary. And this suffering of Christ fulfilled the Old Testament prophets. But here's what he says in verse 19. In light of what Jesus Christ has done, in light of his suffering, in light of the cross, in light of his resurrection, here's what you need to do. Step number one, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Listen to me. Our eternal relationship with God begins with repentance. Our eternal relationship with God begins with repentance. I want to just say a quick word about the act of repentance and then a quick word about the outcome of repentance. Well, what what does the act of repentance entail? Well, I've given you a definition in your notes. It comes from the Holman Bible Dictionary. I think this is a really good, succinct way to think about repentance, biblical repentance. This dictionary says, Repentance can be said to have occurred... When someone has been convicted of the reality of their personal sinfulness, rejects and renounces that life of sin, and turns to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance is the recognition that the road you're on as a sinner headed for hell is the wrong road. And you don't want to stay on that road, and so you turn and follow the one that can get you to the opposite place called heaven. And the one who gets you to the opposite place, heaven, is none other than Jesus Christ. So it's turning from one way and placing your faith in the one who leads you in the other direction. That's what repentance is. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Repentance is turning from something, a life of sin, and turning to someone, that's faith, Jesus Christ. And and Peter says, in light of the work of Jesus Christ, you need to repent. I read about a place in a distant remote area of Canada called Labrador, and there was this community that was totally shut off from the rest of the world by any kind of road. You had to fly in to get to this place, and so a lot of people went through a lot of trouble to cut a road through the wilderness to this small community in Labrador, Canada, but only one road. And here's the deal. If you didn't want to end up in Labrador... You couldn't take a, an off-ramp and get, on, and get on another road. You had to turn around. Listen to me. If you don't want to go to hell when you die, there's only one way. You've got to turn from your sin and say, this is the wrong road. I'm not getting the job done in my own strength. I'm a sinner. I'm fallen. Sin has ruined me. But I'm going to follow Jesus, the one who forgives me of my sin, and the one who will transform my life, and when it's all said and done, will bring me home to heaven. That's the act of repentance, turning from your sin to Jesus Christ. But what is the outcome of repentance? What does God do for you when you repent? Well, look what Peter says there in verse 17, or verse 18. He says, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back. There's that idea of turning. That, so that, statement of purpose, your sins may be blotted out. 
When you recognize you're a sinner and you're going the wrong way and you say, I don't want to go that way anymore, and you turn from your sin to follow Christ at that moment of conversion, at that moment when you are born again, your sins, everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do is blotted out. It is washed away. It is forgiven, and that is a really, really good thing. So what's the outcome of repentance? It's the blotting out of our sins. The word there, blotting out, is, is ex elephane. It means to cause to disappear by wiping. Now, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, it says that at the final judgment, people who are not saved will stand before the great white throne of judgment, listen, and they will be judged according to the things written in books which indicates that everything you and I do that's wrong was recorded in a book, right? All of our sin has been seen by an omniscient God. We don't get away with anything. It's as if all of our sins are written down in a book. So on Judgment Day, we say, God, you know, know, God, let me off. I'm not that bad of a person. God will just show you the book. Remember this, remember that, remember this, remember that. So all of our sins are recorded in the heart and the mind of God. But here's the good news. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins and took the punishment for our sins, those sins in that book are wiped away. It's as if we never sinned because Jesus paid for those sins on the cross. And so now when we stand before God, we won't be judged for our sins. Why? There's no book. Our sins have been washed away. And not only is that book empty because our sins have been wiped out, but now our names are in a new book called the Lamb's Book of Life. So when you repent, your sins are blotted out. When God forgives He wipes the slate clean. And what are people looking for in our world if not a new, fresh start, right? People want a new start. They they would love to just wipe the slate clean. There's only one way to do that. There's only one way to get those sins in those books blotted out. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. So step number one is repentance. And when you recognize you're a sinner... You recognize Jesus is your only hope and you turn to follow Christ at that moment, that moment of conversion. Your sins, everything you have done, everything you will do, those sins are blotted out by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's step number one. How do you get from here to there? Number one, repentance. But, but there's another step in, uh, in our journey towards an eternal home. The second step is what I call refreshment. Refreshment. Look what the Bible says there in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent therefore, Peter says, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, if you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ, when you are saved, when you are born again, you experience a refreshing that comes from God. The, the word refreshing there, the basic meaning of that word, translated refreshing, is the, the idea of cooling off. 
the, the cooling off that comes from a, a, a blowing wind. It, it's like the refreshment of a cool breeze. You ever been hot and sweaty and, and muggy, maybe in the summertime, and, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a cool breeze that blows and just refreshes you, and it just feels so good. That's the word that's used here. God says, if you repent, if you follow Christ, you will experience here in this life times of refreshing. When we enter into a relationship with God, we experience, listen, a spiritual refreshing in this life. And notice that the refreshment comes from the presence of the Lord. Look what he says in verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from who? The presence of the Lord. Now, I believe that this this idea of refreshment coming from the presence of the Lord speaks of, of the triune God. I believe this speaks of the indwelling of the Spirit. Over in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, look what Peter says at the end of his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you repent, you get the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, as a gift, and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, to live on the inside of you, to seal you until the day of redemption. And so certainly this repentance and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit links up to repentance and refreshing The the Holy Spirit is present in your life. And because he's present in your life as a believer, you experience the refreshing of his presence. Also, this this refreshment that comes from the presence of the Lord speaks of the constant care of the Father. Hebrews 13.5, the Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are adopted by God the Father. And He becomes your Father. And He watches over you and He protects you and He provides for you. And He disciplines you to to help you get on the right path. And and He's a Father. He loves us. He's a perfect Father. He's a Father we can trust. And, And our Father has said, listen, as you walk through this world, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we experience the refreshing presence of the Father, right? But I believe this also refers to the constant presence of Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28 when he gives the Great Commission? He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Then he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So is God present with us in our life? Yes, God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. God, our Father, will never leave us nor forsake us. And Jesus Christ said, I will be with you to the end of the age. So you and I get to experience the refreshing presence of God every day here in this life. Let me say it like this. The only way to experience real refreshment in a fallen world is to have the unfailing presence of God in your life. Let me say it again. 
The only way to experience real refreshment, and people are looking for it, aren't they? The only way to experience real refreshment in a fallen world is to have the unfailing presence of God in your life. We are not in heaven yet. That's our final destination, but we're not there yet. We're still pilgrims walking through a fallen world, but God has promised His spiritual refreshment as we toil through this life. What's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? Christians have problems just like non-Christians, right? Christians are weak just like non-Christians. Christians hurt just like non-Christians. Christians experience turmoil just like non-Christians. But here's the difference. Christians experience the hardships of life with God present in their life. And in a way which we can't fully articulate, as we go through the valleys of this life, God is there with us, and when we need Him to, He carries us. I I honestly don't know how people face life without the presence of God in their life. I don't know how they do it. But I'm grateful that there's nothing in this life that I have to face alone. Nothing. I have spiritual refreshment from the presence of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. You know, going on different mission trips all around the world, I've been on some long flights. 13-hour plane flights. You know, nine-hour plane flights, eight-hour plane flights. I mean, you, you know, I've been on some long plane flights. And, and, and a lot of these long plane flights, you've been on the, the plane for hours. Maybe perhaps before you land, you're getting ready to, to make your final descent into the city where you're landing. Uh, the, 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 the stewards and, and stewardesses will come around with hot towels. And I can't explain to you how good this is. Unless you've been on a 13-hour flight and you're just grimy and you're tired and you're exhausted. And they come around with these little tongs because they're hot. And they hand you this hot towel and, and you just wipe it on your face and your hands. And it's just, oh, it just wakes you up. It just feels so... It's just, you know what it is? It's refreshing. It's refreshing. You know what? Life can take a toll on you just like a long plane flight. Where you just are burdened. And you just feel heavy and, and down and out. But the presence of the Lord is a spiritual refreshing that we can experience every day of our lives. We never walk through life alone. But there's a third step from here to our eternal home. We've talked about repentance. That's where the journey starts. We've talked about refreshment as you go through this old world, as you journey through this world. God refreshes you with His presence. But number three, I want to just talk about return. Return. Look what the Bible says there in Acts chapter 3, verse 20. It says, We need to repent, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. And just to make sure we know who the Christ is, he gives his name, Jesus. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And so there's coming a time when God the Father will send back 
Jesus the Son to this earth. Now, the Bible says that after Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead and spent some time with his disciples, about 40 days on this earth, that he ascended back to the Father. You can read about that in Acts chapter 1. He actually went up in the air, up through the clouds, and went back to the right hand of God in heaven. That's where he is right now. He's at the right hand of the Father. But one day the Father will say to the Son, it's time for you to go back. It's time for you to return. Now, we call this doctrine the the second coming of Christ. Christ will come again. He will return from heaven to usher in the end times. And this, this return will be about him coming to get his followers. Look what it says there. In verse 20, he says that he may send the Christ appointed for who? What's it say? For you. That he may send the Christ appointed for you. And so Christ is going to return for you. Hold your place, but turn over to John chapter 14. Let me show you some of the most encouraging verses in all the Word of God. John 14 verse 1. Jesus says here to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now look in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is using just good old-fashioned logic. He said, when I leave you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare your eternal home. And if I do that, doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it follow that I'm going to come back and bring you to that home I'm preparing? Since I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself so that where I am, heaven, you will be there also. And so Jesus says, Peter says in Acts chapter 3, that Christ will return. He will come and get his followers. Now, there are different ways it's going to happen. If you die, your soul will go immediately into the presence of God to be absent from the bodies and be present with the Lord, but your body will go into the ground, right? And if that's the case, when Christ comes back, He's going to raise your body and you'll have a brand new, glorified, incorruptible, imperishable body. And when your body is raised out of the ground, at that moment, your imperishable body, your new glorified body, will be reunited with your soul, and you will experience eternity in that new glorified body. So when he comes back and gets you, he's going to raise your body from the ground. Or if he returns before you die, which could happen, he's just going to rapture you. You're just going to be caught up in the air with him. That'll be pretty cool too, right? And so rapture, resurrection, it doesn't matter. However God wants to bring me home to my eternal home in heaven, it's fine with me. I'm just glad I'm going. How about you? I'll let him take care of all that, the timing and all of that. But he's going to come back and get us. That's the point. When we drop our daughter off in, in preschool, she asks this question all the time. Who's going to come get me? She wants to know who's going to pick her up, mom or dad. And it's always a big deal. You going to pick me up? And so every, every time, who's going to come get me? As a Christian, 
we can ask that same question. Who's going to come get me? And the answer is, Jesus Christ himself will come get you. And that's the third step on your way from here to your eternal home. But there's one final step I want to give you. One, one final step. If, if you just look at this visually, we, we've talked about repentance. That's, that's where the journey begins. That's the, that's the first step towards your eternal home. Then we talked about refreshment, right? As you walk through this life, God's presence is with you. He will always be with you. He will refresh you and give you what you need, even as you toil through this old world. And the, the next step is what? Return. Christ is going to come back and get us. But, but here's the, the last step. Restoration. Restoration. Look what the Bible says back in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. He says, He's going to send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, verse 21, whom heaven must receive. He's in heaven now with the Father. Until the time, watch this, for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of, the, of His holy prophets long ago. So when he returns, he's going, to, he's going to bring about a restoration process. Now what does that mean? Here's what it means if you look in your notes. When Christ comes, when he returns, he will establish his kingdom. The kingdom that is now invisible because Christ rules and reigns in our hearts will on that day become visible. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That kingdom will be visible as he establishes it in eternity. And at that time, at the, as the end time scenario unfolds, he will usher in a new heavens and a new earth. Turn to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. The next to the last chapter, Revelation chapter 21. I want to show you this from the Word of God. John sees this heavenly vision. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, which will be the centerpiece of heaven, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So this, this passage speaks of, of, of Christ returning and then beginning this restoration process whereby he will usher in a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And here's the question. Why will Jesus Christ usher in a brand new heaven and a brand new earth? Because the old heaven and old earth is broken. It's fallen. When sin entered the world through Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden... Sin cursed the created order. And I know that creation is marvelous all around us, but it's broken, it's fallen. That's why we have tornadoes. And these typhoons, like the one that just hit the Philippines. We have earthquakes and natural disasters and sickness. 
And all the things that we experience in this earth, we live in a, in a cursed world. It's been cursed by sin. It's fallen. It's broken. But guess what? It won't be like this forever. Because God's going to restore everything. Christ is going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. If you look in your notes, He will restore the created order to its perfect, everyone say perfect, to its perfect pre-fall condition. Before Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, everything was wonderful. It was perfect, just like God intended it to be. And this old earth, the old heavens, will one day pass away. And God's going to bring in a new heavens and a new earth, which will be perfect. Let me say it like this. Our eternal home will be redeemed people in new bodies, living in a new heaven and a new earth, free from sin and Satan and death, experiencing the glorious presence of God for all eternity. That's a pretty good deal, right? Let me say it again. What's our eternal home going to consist of? Redeemed people in new bodies, living in a new heaven and a new earth, free from sin and Satan and death, experiencing the glorious presence of God for all eternity. That's what our eternal home will be like. Why? Because Christ will restore all things. He'll usher in a new heaven, a new earth. Have you ever had the experience of having a, a computer and, and it just gets convoluted with different things you put on it and maybe a program you put on doesn't work well or you get a virus or something like that and, and, the, and it's just corrupted. The, the computer doesn't work like it was intended to work. And so uh, one of the steps you may take is you, you restore it to its original settings, to its factory settings. Just get rid of all that junk and just get back to the way it was intended to work. That's what restoration is all about. God's going to... Do away with this cursed created order and bring in a brand new heavens and a brand new earth. And we will live in that new heavens and new earth forever and ever and ever and ever. So do you see the steps? How do we get from here to there? Repentance. And then refreshment. And then return. And finally, restoration. But here's a question I want to leave you with. What's the alternative? What's the alternative from getting from here to there, starting with my repentance and following Christ? Well, Peter doesn't leave us to wonder. Look what he says back in Acts chapter 3. I want to show you a very important passage. Acts chapter 3. Look what Peter says the alternative is. Verse 22, he says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he Tells you. In other words, Moses prophesied that one would come that would be the authority. Speaking here of Jesus Christ, Moses, he said, spoke of Christ. And it shall be that every soul, watch this, every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. In other words, the Old Testament is consistent in his witness. God was going to send a Messiah. And Peter's saying Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies. He says, you, the Jewish religious leaders, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, 
and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In other words, God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and through your descendants, I'm going to build a great nation, the Jewish people, and through those people, I'm going to send a Redeemer who will bless all the peoples of the earth if they place their faith in Him. Verse 26, God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first, to the Jews first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. He's saying, hey... All of this is happening so that you might turn to Christ and go from here to your eternal home. But what's the alternative? Anyone that doesn't turn to Jesus will be destroyed. Did you notice what he said in verse 23? It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet Jesus Christ shall be destroyed from the people. That's the alternative to heaven. Destruction And 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 says that, it, that destruction is eternal. It's, it's, it's torment that never ends. Eternal destruction. And so here's the point. Here's what I want you to walk away with. Here's what I want to call you to today. Repent and believe in Jesus as the first step towards abundant and eternal life. Follow Jesus. Don't disregard Him. Because if you disregard Jesus Christ, who is your only hope, you will experience everlasting destruction. But if you'll repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll have an eternal home in your future, in that wonderful place called heaven. And you'll experience abundant life, refreshing in the here and now. And it's just that clear. So the question is, what will you do with Jesus?